My title tonight is this, Turn and Face the Strange. Turn and Face. How many of you remember that song, David Bowie, anybody? There was a song, okay, okay, a few of you. It's called Changes by David Bowie. It's Turn and Face the Strange, Ch-ch-changes. My favorite line, time may change me, but you can't trace time. So Acts chapter 8, we're talking about a guy who, a guy who had the courage to look forward and uh, turn his attention to something strange and found God in it. Acts chapter uh, 8, a little bit of backstory here. The apostle Philip, he has gone and he's preaching in Samaria. So uh, Samaria is this place they're experiencing unbelievable revival. So miracles are happening. He's found his tribe. He's comfortable where he's at. He has a church community and every Everything is good and he's happy. But as luck would have it for uh, Philip, as with many of us, it wasn't God's ultimate plan for him to stay in the comfort of the revival scene. Instead, he sends him out uh, onto the road. And uh, here's what happens. Acts 8, verse 26. So we're going to read like 10 verses here, beginning of verse 26. There's a dog in here, y'all, and we're happy with that. God loves dogs too. What's your dog's name? Ophelia. Oh, I'm not going to remember that. Okay. If you guys hear Ophelia, just ignore uh, her. Is that a girl's name? Ophelia. Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse 26. (laughs) Now an angel of the Lord. It would be weird to have Ophelia be a boy. Okay. Okay. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is a familiar to some of you. He was reading this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? It's Isaiah chapter 53. I'm sure most of you know that this is talking about who? Jesus, right? But he actually doesn't know this. Uh, This is a prophecy. Uh, Verse 34, the the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. Lastly, verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Okay, so um, here's basically what's happening in this scripture is that Philip, he's uh, the apostle. He's very well known, experiencing incredible revival and God sends him out onto the road and when he's on the road, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. And if you don't know what that is, it's a very unusual character in the Bible. For one thing, he's Ethiopian. Uh, Any guesses what that might mean physically? Black, very dark skinned, right? Much darker than he's used to. And that uh, pertains to our story. And also probably more importantly, he is a eunuch. Uh, And so a eunuch, I don't want to um, get graphic here, but the idea of a eunuch is this, is it someone who has had their reproductive organs removed? The way that it works is if you wanted to work for the queen, which this guy works for the queen, they needed a bit of an insurance policy. So they didn't want you maybe raping the queen or sleeping with the queen. So what what you had to do if you wanted to take the job is you would have to have your reproductive organs removed. Incidentally, if you thought you gave a lot up for your job. But people would actually, people would actually do this willingly um, for the power that was afforded uh, for the job. And so this man was a deeply unclean man, according to scripture. For one thing, he was regarded as really like a sellout. So he He's kind of trade, he's like a traitor to his own people. He, he, by doing this to his body, he said that he will always work for this corrupt government, essentially. And so he's a, he's a sellout. But according to these Jewish people, like Philip, he is a deeply unclean man. According to who? Well, according to Moses in scripture, check this out, Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse one, we'll read from the uh, NLT, it says this. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. Amen? It's a good one for the fridge. <laughs> Lock that in. The truth shall set you free. Okay, check it out. Maybe in the, in the message, it's a little plainer. It says, it says this, no eunuch is to enter the congregation of God. So it's abundantly clear that what's happening here is this man as a eunuch is to, to have no, has nothing to do with the people of God, the community of God, certainly doesn't have anything to do with someone like Philip, who is a very devout Jew. And one thing that you have to understand, one thing that I love about scripture, and it's important for you to understand when we're reading scripture, is that scripture is it's a progression, right? And and scripture starts one place and ends up in another place. And you can see growth. You can see understanding increase where where you can see humanity was here. And then after a while they learn and then humanity becomes a, a little bit smarter. They start to understand God better. And so then now they're here, now they're here, now they're here. That's why, uh, that's why proof texting is such a bad thing for people to do, especially pastors. If you know what, what proof texting is, the, it's the idea of, I have an idea and I'm gonna go to the Bible and I'm gonna stack up like five scriptures that prove the point I'm wanting to make. And thus the Bible says what I already think. That's actually um, something that pastors, if you don't think pastors do that, you haven't met us, right? Because we do this all the time. It's like, I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about, you know, some, and then we just look in the concordance of our Bible, find five scriptures, and then we just spout them out. It's called proof texting. And it's a bad way of preaching and it's a bad way of understanding the Bible. Because if you don't know, the Bible, you can make the Bible say anything, 
literally anything. If all you need is like five scriptures to stack up to prove your point, um, it, you can make it say anything. But again, it, it has a progression, right? So, so what you pull out of like Moses's writings might be exactly opposite of what we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus because scripture is growing and our understanding of God is growing. For example, you think about Isaiah chapter 56. Keep in mind that this is still the Old Testament, Right? So there hasn't any been, there no new covenant, no new dispensation, whatever camp you're in. This is still in the same world of those, of those uh, scriptures that we just read where, where they're not allowed. They're not allowed in. And then check this out. Isaiah chapter 56, he talks about the radical inclusion of eunuchs. Verse three, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Then listen to this. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I love, so Isaiah is saying this, not only does, do eunuchs have a place, in fact, if, if they would obey my laws, then, then they actually get a name that's better than sons and daughters. And I love that the law, he specifically says that the eunuchs he wants them to follow is this, is to remember the Sabbath. So it talks, even talking about rest. So even, even these eunuchs, the, the thing that he says that he wants them to do is they want to, he wants them to come and enter into his rest. I find that really beautiful. Well, you can, so you can see that there's a, a progression that when it comes to eunuchs, right? At the beginning, eunuchs, not allowed. Eunuchs, disgusting. Isaiah comes and he says, eunuchs, they actually are allowed. And that storyline really culminates with this interaction of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, where Philip, he's called out of the glamour of revival, uh, out of miracles are happening, right? This is a safe community, I understand. These are my people. Has anyone ever felt like that? I just want a church that's full of my kind of people, right? Philip's called out of church of my kind of people, sent on the road, and he interacts with someone who's very different than him in every way imaginable. And I used to think when I would look at this scripture, I used to think, God, that's so cool of Philip. Philip is so great. He's such an unbelievably wonderful gift to this eunuch, right? Just selfless Philip in this disgusting sellout eunuch. Now, I, I actually think of it differently. I think that not only... Not only is Philip a gift to the eunuch, but I think that eunuch, the eunuch is a gift to Philip. In fact, you could say it like this. Not only did the eunuch need Philip to encounter God, Philip encountered God in a way that would not have been possible without the eunuch. And so you can see Philip, Philip ends up seeing God and experiencing God in a new way because he had the courage to sit next to someone who was very different than him. Different than Philip in every way imaginable, right? He was Ethiopian, dark skin. He has a completely different worldview. And of course, according to um, the scripture, he's an unclean man, right? But Philip goes and he sits next to him anyways, and they both grow. You might say it like this. Oftentimes, God reveals himself most powerfully through people who think very differently than you do. Hear that? Oftentimes, God reveals himself most powerfully through people who think very differently than you do. It's, it's about sitting side by side with someone who has a different race, 
maybe someone who has a different perspective, maybe someone who has a different worldview. I don't know, what is that for you? Someone who has very different politics, right? What is it for you that you think, I'd rather not sit next to them? And, I, and the problem to me is this. I think we, we, especially as Christians in America, 2018, we, can, we end up just insulating ourselves, you know, like lining our bodies with bubble wrap to where we never have to encounter people who are different than us, right? We just, we just spend our entire lives talking with people who, who think exactly the same as we do, right? They see Christianity exactly how you do. They, they see God exactly how you do. They see politics exactly how you do. They see um, uh, the world, right? Social justice. They see all of these different things exactly like you. And, and the problem is this, is, is that when we do that, there's no possibility of surprise because, because there's no otherness, Right? It's, just, it's just you hanging out with more of you. And, and I think we're like, we're like the Jews in Philip's time, right? Where we already know the law, right? Deuteronomy chapter 23 says that you are a wicked sinner and I'm not supposed to have anything to do with you, right? And then we can go around in life just positive that we have a, the perfect understanding of God and society and culture. And it's not until we end up encountering someone who thinks and sees differently than we do um, that God is able to surprise us and say something new. You think about Jesus, uh, you think about his mission to the Jews, right? He was a Jew and his first and primary audience was a Jewish audience. And they, you know who their enemies were, right? The Samaritans. Y'all remember the Samaritans? They were, um, they were, honestly, the most despicable. They didn't even regard them as human beings. It was racial. It was nationalistic. It was religious. It, all sorts of different things culminated with the Jews' absolute and utter disdain for the Samaritans. They had it figured out. I don't know if anyone, can, can you think, who are the most despised people on the planet for you? I don't know. And the, the Samaritans were worse than that to the Jews. And then Jesus would come and he, he tells all of these stories and he keeps making the Samaritans the hero of his stories. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? It would be like, it would be like Jesus coming up here. It'd be like a pastor who's always telling stories about, about like, uh, you know, a, a radical Islamic terrorist, like the hero of the story. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be all the time? And I think that, that Jesus, one thing that he's doing is he's trying to break the mold of we, we understand who's good, we understand who's bad, and as long as we live our life just in, encircled by people who are always good, then life is easy. The problem is when that happens, you, you rob yourself the possibility of God coming in and surprising you. I think my, my dad, he really likes... Um, the MLB, right? Baseball. And so he has, he has an app. Uh, I, I should never do sports illustrations because I don't, I don't know it. Okay. So he has an app on his iPad and it's MLB. And so he can click on the games because he doesn't watch them on TV, but he watches them on his iPad. And so if like the, like the Cardinals and the Red Sox are playing, he can click on the game and he can kind of see play by play. And he can also click and he can listen to the radio that's broadcast from either of those cities, right? And so he can listen to the radio of what they're listening to in St. Louis, right? Where they're the fans of the Cardinals. What did I say, uh, the other one? Red Sox? Where are they from? Thank you, Boston. Or he could click Boston and he could listen to the radio um, that's happening in Boston. And so it's funny because you click it and like right when one person's cheering, the other people are like, oh, 
you know, and then the other person's celebrating that we won the game and the other person is like, you know, licking their wounds of loss. And, and so you get, to, you get to pick your narration when it comes to the game. And if you're thinking, I just want someone to just say the game neutral. Well, you're just out of luck, right? Because everything has a slant, everything. And I think that that's like so true of the world. So did you know, think about the news. Did you know that you get to pick your news? That's awesome. You got to pick. In fact, if I was to have you raise your hand and say like, raise your hand if don't do any of this, please, for the love of Pete. Raise your hand if you think Fox News is reputable news, right? Some of you would raise your hand. It's like, then raise your hand if you think some, some of you think that CNN is reputable news, NBC. And there wouldn't be anything that would look anything like consensus on what is reputable news, even in this room. And so, and, and that's, that's cool. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful that we live in a world where we get to decide what we think about the world and what we think about God. But the problem is this, is that it also affords us the opportunity of, if we choose, we can live a life where we never have to encounter people who have a different perspective than we do. You know what I mean? And, and, and the only people that we seriously listen to are people that we have already decided are the right ones. Has anyone ever anyone felt like that, that you've, that you've already written off a huge group of people, maybe even a huge group of Christianity, because you've just decided that they're full of it. And, so the, and, then, and then you just live in this tiny little bubble all the time. Here, here's the news. If, if all you listen to are people that you have already decided that you agree with, five years are going to pass, and you're going to be exactly where you were. So you're never going to grow. Or you're never going to hear new, new ideas. I'll tell you, for me personally... A few years back, I was just listening. I, I can tell you, I've got probably five, all my friends could tell you, uh, I've got five pastors that I really admire and that I really agree with. And there was a time when it was like, eh, forget all of this noise. I'm just gonna listen to these five guys only. And they all agree with each other. And I was just gonna listen to nothing but this. Well, I just found after a certain point that I, I wasn't growing anymore because I was just hearing stuff that I already knew and that I already believed. And it feels good, right? It feels good for someone with a microphone to affirm what you already think. But I don't, I'm just not sure it challenges you. I'm just not sure it makes you, it makes you grow. And so now I, I listen to a super wide variety of different people. I listen to some like, conser- like super conservative, fundamental, so that would make some of you cringe and want to die. And then I listen to some like super progressive, edgy, weird, that would make the other half of you want to die. But, but the, the hope is this, is that, that what I'm going to do is at the end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find myself and I'm going to find my own voice. And I'm just always opening myself up to the possibility of God coming and surprising me. I can tell you, for some, some of the things that are really true to me in my own life have come from the most unlikely voices, right? Like, I don't, we don't need to go the whole, like, God talking through a donkey <laughs> overused analogy. But it's, it's pretty true, right? That, that for me, I, I'm amazed how if I open myself and I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid of other people that think differently than me. I'm not afraid of people who, who see the world differently than me. I'm not afraid of people who have different politics than me. How I'm able to hear and receive from God in really new and surprising ways. You think about, I think this is, nowhere is this probably more true than church. Did you know that there's 34, over 34,000 different denominations right now? 34,000 different denominations, right? With drastically different ways of understanding the Bible, with different opinions on what spiritual gifts are, 
what's speaking in tongues, right? What, what part, where does nationality play in all this Christian equation, right? What is different eschatology? What's heaven? What was creation? And they all have these different belief systems, 34,000 different ones. And you might be thinking, it's not even weird to us anymore. It just makes sense. And I wonder for the people in, in this room who like understand church culture, I bet you have even identified for you about half of those that you're into and half that you think are just full of baloney. Right? And, and so, so we end up just shrinking our circle more and more and more and more. You might be thinking, how on earth does one church unified under Jesus turn into 34,000 different denominations? Well, that's a whole lot of church splits, my friends. That means like every few minutes, someone in this church or some other church decided, by the way, do you know the number one reason that church splits happen? Because of something that the preacher says, obviously. They don't like it, so they leave. Every few minutes, right, somebody decides they don't like what's said from the pulpit, and so they go and they decide that they're going to start something two, two doors down, right? And, and I just think that that's what, that's what a world like that looks like. This is, this is, what, we're, this is what we're living in, where, where people, there's no sense of kinship, right? There's no sense of caring for each other. There's no sense of like what the gospel says is to, is to, to care for each other like brothers and sisters. Like that's all totally, totally gone when what we do is we, is we, um, we protect ourselves from the other, right? We end up just living safe lives. And even, even people, if you would allow me to say this, even people who feel like they have left something that was like that, right? And I talk to a lot of young people who feel like the church was too closed for them. And so what they did is they needed to leave it and to refine it. And now they've found something else. Maybe for some of them, that's, that's outlet or whatever. Not realizing that we can do the exact same thing again, right? Not realizing that we leave the small circle to create our own little small circle, and it's just the cycle repeating over and over and over again. And it's cool. It's, again, we get to pick. We get to pick our sports commentary and our news and our church and our friends and our leaders and our pastors. And that's so totally cool. The problem is this, is that we end up walking around positive that we already know all the right answers to everything, right? And if anyone challenges any idea, you just say, I'm out of here. Right, that it's inherently offensive if someone thinks differently than you. Right, I am. Um, you all know me better than to think that I'm going to talk about Donald Trump up here. But I'll tell you, people say things about Donald Trump that I really disagree with all the time. But I'm. But it's not offensive to me anymore. I'm, I'm just. I'm just. I don't know. I'm just here to learn. Right, and I'm. And I'm not afraid. My my, my belief is not so fragile that it's in danger when someone else thinks differently than me. It's just not, you know what I mean? Like I can sit and I can talk with an atheist and I'm no more atheist, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm fine. And I can talk to someone who has like a much more fundamentalist bent in Christianity and I can hear them and I can listen to them and I can love them and I can learn from them. And I'm not, I'm not damaged in any way. But just so long as we live in this tiny little bubble, we never grow. By the way, if you never want to be challenged, can I just ask you a question? Like, why do you come to church, <laughs> Right, just, just sit at home in your underwear, reading your Bible, right? That's like a lot easier and no one will challenge you for anything. And to me, again, the big problem I, I just think is this. It's what I want to say tonight is this, that God moves through disruption. He does. He moves through disruption. He moves through surprise 
through, through coming and appearing in a way that you weren't expecting him to appear. And one of the ways that he does that is through the otherness of somebody else who thinks differently than you, who looks differently than you, who understands the world differently than you. You could say it like this. When you order your world in a way that ensures that there will never be a disruption, you eliminate the possibility that God might surprise you. Right? If everything just makes sense all, and, and I've, I've fashioned my life to where I'm never going to talk to anyone who I disagree with, God, comes, God becomes very boring because, because he doesn't have anything new to say. And I've said this, I, I think a lot of people think that they're listening for God, but I think a lot of people have stopped listening for God because they think they already know what he's going to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if God were to come and say something to you, is it possible that it might go against what you currently think? Of course it is, right? But, but, but do we have a way of seeing the world that even makes that uh, possible? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, that we see in part, right? Like, like a glass dimly lit, right? So we don't see it. And I, I believe in the authority of scripture. Y'all, y'all know that. I hope I've proven that by my lifestyle. But I, but I also believe that my understanding of the scripture is partial at best, right? And so I'm, so I'm not gonna go around positive that the way that I even understand God is all the way right. I'm always wanting to grow. I'm always wanting to learn. And nothing about that is scary and nothing about that is, is offensive. Honest question, have, think about your own life. Think about the last five years, right? Have you changed? I sure hope so. I hope you've changed. I have changed in the last five years like you would not believe, in almost every way imaginable, I, I continually change. But I really think that's what life with God is, right? Disciple means learner, right? So, so, so are you still learning? Honest question. Are you still learning? Is there still a possibility that the way that you see the world, the way that you see God, the way that you see church is still not totally perfect yet? And if so, then that, that brings in with us a humility to be willing to sit next to someone, right? Go up to the chariot and sit with the Ethiopian who sees the world very differently than we do. But, we're just, but, but, but I'm open, right? I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm intelligent. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to what I believe, but I'm still, I'm still uh, a learner. Isaiah, the prophet, he would say, he would say this, God, God would say through Isaiah, behold, I am doing a new thing. So that's always happening. The question is this. The next line is this. Do you perceive it? Right? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. The question is, do you see it? Or are you still stuck in like what God did for you two years ago? Right? Five years ago, 10 years ago, 58 years ago. Right? Or, or are you always open to God doing something new and surprising you? Uh, for me, I, I went... I guess it's probably two, 20 years ago, if you can believe it. I went to Russia. It's my only, it's my only ever uh, across this overseas mission trip. I went to Germany for like a week, and then I went to Russia for two and a half weeks or something like that. And I went, and so if you can imagine, I was like Mr. Gospel Bill... Jesus, you know, like tight little bow. I know the way the world works. I've figured out this healing thing, right? Like just Bible college. That's what Bible college does. I'm inundated with people who already think exactly like me. And all we do is we just, we just convince each other. It's like, a, it's like a weird little group where there's no new ideas allowed, but we just affirm each other. It's great. I love Bible college. 
This isn't a commercial for Bible college, but I loved it. But I just came, I just came out. You're so strong in the faith, right? When you're in Bible college, I literally was calling people brother. Hey, brother, I'm over that. Just Hulk Hogan is the only one that can do that. But, uh, but imagine me like this white middle-class 20-year-old guy who's positive. He has God and the world figured out. And then I, and I, I go to Russia Right, and, and I see, I see suffering, suffering and poverty that, that I, don't, I don't know how to handle. Right? And, and it shatters the way that I, th- I think that I saw the world. And of course, going on one mission trip does not make you an expert. It doesn't make me an expert. But I did learn this, is that, is that if I'm open to new experiences and new kinds of people, that God is able to speak to me um, in, in new ways. And, and I think nowhere is this more important again, then in church. And I think for, for a lot of you, I'm just hoping that you can think, I, I need you to make a little bit of a jump here because I know that for a lot of you, the idea of an Ethiopian, right? Someone who is a, you know, a different nationality, who's a sellout, who the Bible calls unclean, that's exactly who you're comfortable with, right? And so you're thinking, this message is great and easy. Well, well maybe you need to open your heart to like, are you open to, to sitting with Philip? Right? Are you are you open to, are you open to the to to the devout Jewish guy, the devout Christian guy, right? And and you would actually let someone like that explain the scripture to you, I, I, and 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 that's that's the way that community works. That's the way I think community works like a little bit like friction in that in that we're different and that makes us actually better, not not worse. I have um, the lead pastor of this church. You probably know Pastor Marshall. He is my father-in-law. And he and I, I think we're really different in a lot of ways. We're really similar in a lot of ways. But we, we've just got to this place where, where we understand that, that we're, we're, we're better when we're, um, when, this is so dumb, we're better when we're together than when we're separate. That's, that's just the truth, right? Because he ends up rounding me off in the right places. I round him off in the right places. And, and none of what I do and how I see the world and how I see faith is threatened in those places where we see differently. We, we, we see that we have differences, but we love each other. We encourage each other. We support each other in ministry. And, and, and through that, I'm able to receive in places that if I was just closed off, if I was just insulated, if I only wanted to hang around with people who thought exactly like me, I, I, would, I would miss out on. So um, we're gonna receive communion tonight as, as we always do. Just have a couple more things to say. Uh, I, I try to stay away from the news. As I'm sure most of you know, the news to me is unbelievably sad and tragic. I, I, I end up going on there inevitably when I, when I see the news, I just see all of these crazy tragedies, you know, like what, what was it today? How many people were killed? Like, I, I don't, I can't even keep track of it. And I, and I just feel like we can't even get past a week in, in this nation without, without people killing someone because they're different than them. You know what I mean? Like they, they just cannot see the world the way that these people see them. And so the only way out that they have is they're going to, they're going to just go in there with a gun. Right. And, and and that, that's, that's what the world looks like when we lose our ability, just like Erica was saying, to empathize, right? To, to, to be able to put on glasses that look like someone else's glasses, right? Or the, the way that they see the world. I don't see the world like that, but, but I understand why you see the world like that, right? I, I understand why that might be important to you. I understand that maybe the way that I think of something for you is threatening there. And all I'll say is this, I understand. I understand that. And I'm not pushing you. 
and, and, I, and I love you and I'm here to learn from you. And if we can, if we can all find our way to, to just a more understanding faith, I guess that's what I'm advocating for, like finding a way to, to make peace with Christians who are different than you instead of, instead of always just shooting our own soldiers we end up being uh, better. By the way, Facebook is just a microcosm of this exact same thing. It's just shooting digital bullets, right? All it is is just hurling sound bites over the air, thinking that what we're doing is being clever. And really what we're just doing is like wounding each other. And we're just expanding the chasm that separates you from me. It's not, it's not doing anything. And we're just, we've gotten so good at talking and so bad at listening. But I think, but I think the, the posture of the disciple always needs to be the willingness to sit with someone who thinks differently than you. And, and maybe you're thinking like, well, I hope he's not talking about blah, 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 blah. See, you're already doing it. And that's the problem, right? That, that's, why, that's why God can't come and move in surprising ways because there's no, where there's no disruption, there's no dependency on the spirit, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no possibility that, that our, our small lives could be something bigger if we become uh, less afraid. I feel like years ago, I, I went through this weird phase. My friends could tell you this, but I just felt like I, I just got bored to tears of my own preaching. I was just like, you know who has, it's the word, I hated my own sermons because I just felt like I was saying the same generic stuff to people who I already knew agreed with me. Right, I, a pet peeve of mine is when is when there's like a preacher up here that's that's talking to you guys about them, right? All the people on the outside saying it like it is, and you know, like condemning all of those people. We're the we're the good ones. They're the bad ones. And people say like, it's so bold. That's so bold. There's nothing bold <laughs> about saying stuff in a room that there's no possibility that anyone would ever disagree with you. There's nothing bold about that. But I, I just, I just want to, I want to be a ministry, and I know I'm like, I need to chill out here. This is when I'm trying to like land. I'm not doing good, but I just want to, I want to have a ministry, and I want to be a minister that that's open to God moving in new ways and interesting ways, and even if that means doing things in a different way and embracing people we never thought we would embrace and you sitting next to someone who makes you a little bit squirmy, we just have to do that. Like that is what outlet is, right? That 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 this would be a community that no matter what, people, people can come here and they can find kinship, right? They can find brotherhood, sisterhood in a room. Even if they have different politics than you, maybe they don't believe in God. Maybe they think that all people who smoke cigarettes are going to hell. I don't, whatever it is, that they would, they would be able to come into this room and they would be able to feel that there's a connection here and then we're not afraid of new ideas. Uh, I really, really need to, to, to chill here because time is even going. But um, we're gonna, do, we're gonna do communion. And as they pass, I'm just hoping that you would w- be willing to, to think about how this might personally land in your personal life. Right? What, what is it for you? Um, who is it that you've been rejecting that you need to maybe begin to learn from? Right? And, and where, are the, where are the places where you need to learn to value the gift of otherness? Right? Where someone maybe thinks differently than you and that's not a problem, that's actually a gift for you to embrace and to learn from. And to just spend a minute, um, if you would, uh, passing the elements. Just let God speak into that and then we'll receive communion together. Thank you guys.
the communion invitation is on the screen. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. Let me pray for you. Uh, Father God, tonight, I, I, I just want to pray for, I guess, us as a community, maybe us as individuals, just in, in this world that it feels like it's such a, a polarizing place where there's so many different opinions and so many different lines in the sand that, that are just designed to separate us from one another and isolate people from community. We would just pray that as, as we follow you, that you would lead us into relationship with each other, not away from. And I think life, life can be so tidy and so neat sometimes that there's no space for you to get in. And we, we would pray that, that our, our faith in, in the beautiful, kind way that, that you do, it would, it would just be, it would be disrupted. It would be shaken uh, so, that, so that we can see the things that need to fall away and the things that still remain. And for the people that are, that are on a journey and they're still trying to figure out exactly what, what, what this means and what, who you are and what this whole life is like, just people on that journey still unsure that, that we would be a people that together would be able to, to care for one another regardless of, of what we think and what we feel and where we are. But we would just be a community that, that truly love each other and are committed to following after you together. Uh, free from fear, fear from people who think differently than we, than we do, uh, fear from being contaminated by the, the grossness of other people, but just that we'd be people just like Philip was here that would, that would be willing to sit and, and learn alongside people who may look very different than he did. Just going to say thank you for that and we love you. And, and Jesus, as we come to your table, we say that, that we're just so un unworthy, I guess is the right word. I mean, it's not, all I'm saying is this, is that it's not a, it's not a, we earned it thing. It's just a free gift thing. And so, so as we come to, come to the table, we say, thank you for, for the beautiful gift of your wonderful son. And, and we're honored to be here. And Jesus, as we recognize your, your sacrifice, we just say, thank you. And and Jesus, tonight we remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. We remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection.